This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well Endowed Podcast. On this month's episode, they talk to one of the key feminist figures in the online world, Anita Sarkeesian, who you might know started Feminist Frequency, a place to critique gender roles in video games. Now, if you've been a listener of Modern Manhood, you might recognize Feminist Frequency from an interview that we did with our managing editor, Carolyn Pettit. Now, Anita's coming down to Edmonton in the new year, and I'm sure this interview with the well-endowed team is fantastic, as they usually are. So you should really go check it out. You can find The Well-Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. That's again, thewellendowedpodcast.com. You're listening to Modern Manhood, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Manhood, an exploration of modern masculinity and the way it shapes us in the modern world. I'm your host, Hamrin Vijegas. Now, Modern Manhood is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, and it's also broadcast on gradio.ca. Now, this show is supported by the APN and also by the generous Patreons who donate as little as $2 a month to help this show continue on into the new year. And you can do the same by going to patreon.com slash modernmanpod. You can also support this show by buying one of the t-shirts that a lot of people are buying and showing off on the internet. You can do that at trepublic.com slash modernmanpod. You can also check out all the episodes of Modern Manhood at modernmanhood.org. Now, since I started this podcast, I started it a year and a bit ago, a year and a half ago, I would say. And... Ever since I've started this, a lot of people have come up to me and asked, you know, like I, I have questions. I have ideas. I want to talk to you about things. And I want to make sure that what I'm saying is actually making sense. And usually those questions revolve around masculinity or revolve around the question of, uh, you know, what, what am I as a guy? And usually those questions are, you know, form some sort of gender theory inside their own head. Um, so it's great. It's great. I love hearing those things and I love getting the emails. I love, um, even people that I, I don't even know, just like, like follow me on Instagram or follow me on Twitter and just start asking questions and just like, you know, like, I wish there would be an episode about this. Or I wish it would be an episode about that. Um, and I'm trying to get through all these kind of requests and all that stuff. But the main lesson I got from that was that opening up this conversation, opening up this uh, this little Pandora's box of uh, of male gender theory has made it a safe space for a lot of guys to start asking these questions. I mean, that's the goal of the podcast. But at the same time, I noticed that you can do that in a in a microcosm of your own little community of friends. The coolest part about having this podcast is having some friends that I known for a while come up to me and say, "You know what? That I I I want to talk to you about this." And maybe I want to be on the show, or maybe I have ideas. Um, and these are people that, like, again, I've, I've known for years and years, or have known all, the, all my life. Um, and it's cool. It's, it's a really cool thing to do. So I want to end off 2017 by having one of those conversations. So the person that you're going to hear, his name is Matt Lysak. He is... Um, 
a business owner here in Edmonton. Uh, he's also one of my friends. He's also been a friend of mine for about um, a couple years now. He's been playing on my on my rec soccer team, and we played rec sports for a long time. Um, and he messaged me out of the blue and said, "You know what? Let's. I really, I really like the podcast. I really want to be on the show, and I really want to talk about the journey that I have been on." So. I gave him the opportunity to do that. And it, and it's one of my favorite interviews because, like I said, maybe it's a little bit more selfish. Maybe it's a little bit more personal to me. But I think you'll like it too because I think this is a person who had these questions um, and wanted to really find out more about himself um, and wanted to go through the process of trying to find out more about how to develop um, information about their feelings, how to create a more inclusive workspace. And he also wanted to talk about what it is working inside of a group of what he called a boys club, an old boys club, I, and a, what kind of atmosphere that was for him. And, you know, spoiler alert, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good for him. So he really wanted to express this in a more open and public way. And I gave him the platform to do that. So we sat here on my couch and we did that. And I want you to hear it because I think it's amazing. So... For the last episode of 2017, and I hope you hear this and you get energized into 2018. This is Matt Lysak. All right, and how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Lysak. Lysak. Nobody in Croatia listens to the show, right? I don't know. <laughs> I should do a poll of like <laughs> how many people in different countries listen to this show. Yeah. You never know. Never you're, know. On, you're on iTunes, right? I'm on iTunes, yeah. Don't they give you that kind of information on iTunes? Like, can there, you get a map of... Analy- analytics in podcasting is like a, it's like a weird beast. It's like, I mean, I have my own hosting site and they give me like the specific site but i've never really yeah. dug deep like if you want to dig deep into it you yeah. gotta get like like google analytics or you gotta mm. use from your website or mm. um and then that takes a specific amount of money to put it onto wordpress it's like but right now i'm just like okay well whoever downloads it downloads it I'll, I'll look in twitter to see like or I'll look on instagram and that's about it really <laughs> um so matt this is a this is a pleasure uh, to have you, um, especially face to face, doing this. I love doing these face to face interviews. They're they're a lot, they're they're better for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this is cool because we've known each other for, what do we say, three years? Yeah, two or three years. Two or three like years. That. Yeah, two years. I think. Yeah, uh, we play in the same soccer team together, um, or and also other rec sports together. Um, so it's fascinating that that uh of the amount of things that we don't know about each other mm-hmm. um so and it's great that you uh you kind of you you approached me and said you know what this is something that i would love to do um uh, and i'm so happy that you're doing this so welcome thank you so um first things first um how are you how are you been doing so far like what's what what has been you why did you want to be on this show life is a journey herman <laughs> Um, there's just been, uh, I mean, uh, sort of a confluence of, um, things in my own life and things that are going on in the world, uh, at large around us. And, uh, so I think a lot of men are starting to think more about these kinds of things, um, because, um, you know, groups of, that aren't men that are, that are questioning all kinds of things about, um, 
you know, the way that we organize ourselves in society and the way that we treat uh, different groups of people. And so a lot of that, um, you know, if you're paying any kind of attention, does have ramifications on every other group uh, around there, too, because um, um, the way that men treat women has as much to do with women as it does with men. So, um, so yeah, so I've been uh, just thinking a lot about those things. And, uh, and then I found out that, um, you had a podcast and a blog that was, uh, coming at it from kind of a unique space. Uh, probably until recently it was, there was a, you know, uh, feminists and men's rights groups and, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know who else was in that space, um, talking about, uh, gender and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, this is, uh, it was really exciting for me to learn that you were doing this and, um, check out your uh your podcast and your blog and it was uh yeah really exciting for me you know people have been doing this like from what i know people have been doing this for years um talking about um issues around the around healthy masculinity or masculinity in general but um especially with a more of a a pro-feminist slant or a a non I say non MRA slant i always had an uneasiness talking and thinking about um men's issues because uh, talking about men a lot of times is um, uh, gets tied in with talking about power in society, and something like um, you know Harvey Weinstein or um, you know Kevin Spacey. It's kind of um, in a sense, uh, I think Kevin Spacey especially sort of um, took some of the gender out of it, and and really made it obvious that. Um, a lot of the issues that we think about and talk about are, are issues of power uh, in society, and I think that uh, frees up a lot of a lot of conversation about masculinity because it's um, it's less uh, sort of steeped in, in all that um, you know power stuff, and you can kind of start to separate. Um, you know, being a man doesn't necessarily uh, mean having to be uh, you know. Um, an asshole basically and a tyrant and um you know controlling and manipulative and and they're not those two things aren't necessarily related at all i for the last three years i've been running a company and so i've been um in a in a position that i haven't been before in my life which is you know um kind of the authority in an organization so that's been a learning experience too um learning how to do that uh, and not let some of the usual trappings of, you know, being in control, um, you know, uh, make me into a worse person, basically. Is there any lesson specifically that you've learned in through through being an entrepreneur and being somebody that owns their own business, and especially in regards to power? I mean, the old saying of absolute power corrupts absolutely, I think, is uh, it's extremely valid because the more, um, the less you have people questioning you, um, I think the worse your decision-making gets generally as a person. Anytime that uh, myself and my business partner have um, sort of uh, uh, given up autonomy and um, uh, welcomed in um, different voices, um, especially, you know, diverse uh, voices, um, it has, uh, you know, without fail made our company stronger. Um, you know, that is kind of a microcosm of uh, society to me. Have you gotten any... Any blowback from this, from from being a more diverse business or being diverse? Because you know, I, I always hear it like I shouldn't be doing this, but I like I always end up reading like the internet comments on some things. And you're <laughs> Classic like, mistake, oh, that's, I know. Is that to be rule number one of the internet? <laughs> Don't read the comments. Um, but 
it does seem like there is a kind of a pushback to this. Um, and I don't agree with it, but I'm wondering if you have received any of that pushback. No, and partly because our, our company is not actually as diverse as it, as it could be. I mean, the solar industry is still um, like a lot of, um, you know, electrical uh, related industries is still pretty male dominated. And so it is. It is hard to get you know really nice diversity <laughs> in uh, in the solar industry. But no, we haven't really had uh, any blowback at all um, of any kind. Uh, it's made our company, I think, a more attractive place to work. And um, when somewhere is an attractive place to work, uh, if the employees are happy, then more people want to deal with you as customers and as and as vendors too. So um, it's been um, like an exclusively positive um, experience so far. You came like and you mentioned that solar industry is a very male dominated industry, and you came from before that from an industry that was almost exclusively male. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned specifically that it was kind of an old boys club. Yeah, so I'd I'd been in the industry in the solar industry for about nine years, and I um, was sort of getting tired of it. And at the same time, I wanted to broaden my um, learning out a little bit. So um, I left and I went to work in the electrical industry, um, selling electrical components and um to mostly oil and gas related customers and so um the electrical industry itself is an old boys club and and the oil and gas industry is a, is an old boys club and they're not you know exclusively um male but um you know culturally they're they're very um male dominated and um you know rooted in um behaviors and relationships that you know were in place 50 100 years ago a real eye-opener for me because I hadn't really, I mean, I'd worked some construction jobs, um, but I'd never really been in, you know, right in the heart of an old boys club. And it was, um, it was frustrating. And it was, I mean, if you have any level of empathy with other people, it was like borderline unmanageable sometimes. And I, I was in there for about three years and I ended up having to quit um, because a couple of things happened in our company. Um, our marketing manager got um, sexually harassed at a company golf tournament, oh, wow. and um, she brought the complaint to her managers, and, and basically they didn't do anything about it, uh, and it was happening in front of people, and they didn't kick the guy out of the golf tournament, and they didn't um, you know end the relationship with him as a customer, and it was, um, and then basically uh, when she complained about it, they um, did less than nothing, like they you know tried to marginalize her uh, experience, and so that happened, and then uh, maybe a week after that, um, one of the uh, admin assistants um, wanted to move into um, counter sales, uh, so, you know, learning about products, selling products, dealing with customers, and um, so she trained herself, uh, did all the learning that she had to do, and um, basically they said that they would uh, give her the job, um, and they paid her an extra dollar an hour over what she was making as an admin uh, person, which was about half of the half of what the top uh, inside sales guy was making. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty obvious, you know, why they made that decision. So those two things happened about like a week apart from each other. Oh, boy. And um, so after that, I just I put in my resignation. I was like, I can't take, I'm not, I'm not proud to work for this company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, this is terrible. Was there a level of um, a fear around these, these, these men that were, and these people, I guess, that were, that were in control of this, this this club or this old boy, this old boys club no not at all uh have you ever worked in an old boys club type of environment uh, 
I could say yes and I could say no, but I don't know how, how much I'm going to. See, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if I was in it or if I don't know because I was on the higher end that sure. I, that's it, my, I didn't understand that I was in the club already. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, yeah. but, but please tell me. I would, I would not classify it as fear at all. Uh, I would classify it as, um, uh, comfort in a way because, uh, there was no questioning that if you were a man, um, you know, you had a ton of advantages in, in that organization. Uh, generally, if you were okay at your job, you had job security. And um, if you needed a raise, you could ask for a raise and get it. And for the women in the company, they knew that it was just not uh, an environment where they could su- could, su- could succeed. And so, um, you know, there is some... Uh, just a, a basic understanding about the, the ways of the world. And so, um, and there's a resignation in that too, I think from everybody that, um, okay, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. And everyone kind of played along with these rules. And if you don't play along, I think that's, that's when the problems start rising. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So for you, for yourself, like, um, a person who is, who is a guy and, um, well, specifically a white guy, mm-hmm. I would say, was there, any problems to that specifically to you uh aside from my own you know personal uh, ethical misgivings about working there no (laughs) no not at all i mean um i didn't i felt comfortable enough you know if i if i wanted to voice a different opinion i knew that it wouldn't be popular like um you know I, i would have a manager that would say sort of um borderline homophobic things like right. sort of a half innocent homophobia that uh, you know mm. uh, that we all see every day like um, things like i don't i don't care if people are gay this is an actual thing um conversation in around the office um i don't care if people are gay i just don't want them rubbing it in my face and i said um you know i've heard all kinds of stories about you um screwing your wife like uh <laughs> Yeah. That's what well, like what do you consider that aside from rubbing it in everybody's face? Your, you know, heterosexuality. And um I felt comfortable enough, you know, with with little things like that because I was good at my job and I was, a, you know, there I was not going to get fired for anything. Right. But um but I I just kind of learned to just to get along with people day to day to um kind of keep uh, other opinions to myself basically. Did you feel once you left that um that old boys club or that specific uh, industry that you were in, did that impact the way that you were speaking to other people outside of that? Or did that um, change your behavior or was it something that you had to like reverse out or didn't change overall? Yeah. I got immediately happier. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, I didn't really think about it at the time, but um, being in a place that you're sort of ethically opposed to um, does wear you down slowly um because you have to swallow just a little bit of your pride every single day yeah and a little bit of yourself every single day you know going from from that back into the solar industry and then especially from there to um running my own company just the freedom to be myself and be able to express myself fully um made a huge difference is there anything that you've learned from that experience the funny thing about old boys clubs is that it's um it's not that every single person in them is, um, you know, sexist and racist and misogynist and homophobic. It's that maybe 20% of them are and, um, and, and the rest of them just know how to go along with it. Right. And so um, when you express opinions counter uh, to that culture, 
um, you end up finding varying levels of agreement with people that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who, you know, uh, off to the side will be like, Hey, I'm really glad that you said something about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, my nephew's gay and, you know, this is, it's, you know, uh, people who are still kind of rednecky, but, you know, have their own personal interests and, and have, um, you know, developed uh, different ideas about certain things. They'll, you know, hey, I'm glad you said something about this, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's never be afraid to speak your opinion. This episode of Modern Manhood is also brought to you by ATV. Who created ATV Cares? Do you know about ATV Cares? It's probably the best way to donate your money because not only does 100% of your money go to that charity, ATV will also match 15% of it, up to $200,000. I personally have donated through ATV Cares to one of my favorite organizations, the Canadian Mental Health Association. And you can pick through the many, many, many types of charities across Alberta through ATV Cares. Seriously, you can search and look at it. There's, They have all of them in there. So if you want to do that, Go to atbcares.com and donate your money there. So that's again, atbcares.com. You were a stand-up comedian before mm-hmm. you did all this. And uh, tell me about that life. Tell me how that life compares to like the stuff that you're doing now. Sure. So I went to, uh, I went to school. Um, I have a degree in uh, drama, a Bachelor of Arts in drama. And um, what I really liked was uh, writing plays. And, um, but mostly I wrote uh, comedic plays. And you don't get as much respect for writing comedy as you do for writing really serious drama. Right. And so that sort of irked me. And then uh, a friend of mine, um, who was also a playwright, said he was going to try doing stand-up at a club. I hadn't seen stand-up for, you know, uh, for a long, long time. And so I thought that would be kind of cool. And then I realized that stand-up is just, um, uh, you know, comedic monologues that you can write and then perform uh immediately and i was like oh yeah that's exactly what i want to do i just want to write funny stuff and make people laugh so i tried it out and i got into it and um yeah i did stand up for about five years on and off wow um starting off i mean everybody has to start off at the lowest level which is going to open mics and doing you know three or five or seven minutes at a time and um you know writing material and and trying it out and bombing and going back and fixing it and writing more material um and it's a it was a strange and exciting collection of people um you know people from all walks of life and um uh yeah mostly men as well right uh, especially when i i was doing it about 10 years ago um maybe maybe even longer than that and it was you know there were two or three uh female comics doing it sort of regularly in the city did you see that there was a a, like a gatekeeping culture as well too around like like stand-up or with drama specifically yeah for sure it's not um an overt thing and it's getting better now but um yeah female comics were treated differently Mm -hmm. for sure um partly by the other comics um but uh, i would say more so by the audience audience members especially because they serve alcohol at all these clubs oh, man, yeah. um just uh, have no fear saying the worst things to to women on stage um because um you know a woman on stage with a microphone like being on stage with a microphone is a position of power and authority mm-hmm. and um everyone else in the audience has to sit there and shut up and listen and a lot of uh men don't feel comfortable 
having a woman in, in front of them with that in that position. Right. Which, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Which is definitely, uh, you know, you can see it in politics in North America. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot of people that their their main problem is why is that woman up there talking on on a microphone to all of us? Huh. That's interesting. I never thought about it that that microcosm of uh, of having a woman with a microphone having the power and having a lot of people being defensive about this and being like, why is this person talking to me? Why is this? Like, and you see it in, you know, we, we, we live in Edmonton and I see it specifically with stuff around Rachel Notley and I, and you definitely see the stuff around with in the U S of Hillary Clinton or if anybody who's a, who's a woman that, that decides to um, speak up. Did you find a lot of, uh, solidarity between the, the male comics being able to like shut this down or do you think it's same thing it was kind of like let's just i mean i agree that this is terrible but like i'm not going to say a whole lot more more the latter um it's definitely a game of survival and uh unless you're you know a seasoned um you know experienced uh long time professional comedian i mean you're just you're just hoping that you don't uh do badly if you're if you're going up that right 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 and that's you know your number one fear and concern is is your own survival and so it's a weird thing because the the other comedians are your peer group and they're your friends and a lot of times they're your co-workers like if you're on if you're touring you're usually touring with a couple of other comics so you're going to town to town with the same people uh, all on the same show but then there are also people you're competing against because there's a limited number of jobs out there and um and you're competing with all of them for those jobs like I've, i talked to somebody with in that was in drama and like doing theater stuff and they're like yeah like he's my buddy but also at the same time like i have to audition right beside this person right exactly. next to them so yeah i could imagine that kind of complex that sometimes they could provide <laughs> yeah and i think probably actors that's the like we've seen with harvey weinstein like that's they have a lot of the same problems and it's clear that um you know it's taken a long time for them to get together and band together and, and do something about uh, some of the stuff that's happening in, you know, our own theater community, like we saw um, yes. in our own improv community and theater community uh, and in Hollywood. And I mean, I think that's part of the reason is because um, it's a world of, you know, a semi-competitive world. I mean, you're coming from two different places here. You're coming from um, one that was an art world and one that is a kind of a trades world. Mm-hmm. Do you see any similarities to those two worlds or do you see anything, especially in regards to either misogyny or sexism or this old boys club or around masculinity, do you see any similarities to it or do you, or do you see that they're just completely two different type of cultures? Hmm. That's really a good question. You see a lot of the same things that, um, you know, a lot of uh, unhealthy masculinity does come from people that um, maybe don't believe it, but have found that it is a way to fit in. And so, you know, people would tell um, uh, racist or sexist jokes a lot of the time because they knew uh, that it would work uh, in comedy. And when you're a comedian, you're just so desperate for something to work that you might end up you know, having a routine that you're not proud of uh, from an ethical perspective. You saw a lot of that in um, the electrical industry as well, where, you know, um, I, and with myself, I mean, I would, uh, you know, I'd go visit a customer out in, um, you know, some small town, uh, some small oil town in Alberta and uh, walk into a customer's office and then they would tell, you know, some horrible, you know, misogynistic or sexist thing. And, um, and I would have to kind of uh, not disagree with it. 
you know, not necessarily uh, agree with it and, and slap them on the back and say, oh, that's hilarious, but, um, you know, not disagree with it. Right, 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 right. It wasn't like a straight up, like, I want to call you out on this, but I would just be like, mm, yeah, yeah. Like, just, and then just keep silent. No, let's keep it on. Yeah. yeah. So there's like a, a silent complicity there that, um, yeah. Just, and just to survive, just, you know, I don't, I don't care. This is such a small part of my day and my week. Like I'm going to, I'll just have to swallow that. Yeah. And uh, move on to the next thing. I'm not, I'm not going to fix the whole world and, you know, I'm not going to fix the whole world in Pinocchio. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, that's a really cool is to hear, like you talk about um, like power structures and a few things and how similar that can be. Um, especially when we do, when we are silent and that, that you grew up in Edmonton, correct? Mm-hmm. Born and raised, right? Mm-hmm. You said you didn't want to leave, which is crazy to me. <laughs> I have a belief, and I feel like uh, the city of Edmonton co-opted my um, my internal monologue. Uh, I always felt like um, if there's something in Edmonton that you don't like, or that isn't that doesn't exist, or that could be better, then um, that is a signal that it's your job to fix it or do it. <laughs> and then they their their city's branding slogan was "Make something Edmonton." I was like, damn it, that was. <laughs> It's a much more succinct uh, uh, way to describe that. <laughs> so being raised in Edmonton, um, tell me, like, why did you move into the, a drama? Um, was that always a thing for you when you were a kid? Or, like, was that something that was later in life that was revealed? I grew up with, um, in definitely, in, like, an artistic-friendly family. Um my parents both uh, played musical instruments and, and had some, uh, you know, musical background. Uh, and then my sister and I were both encouraged to learn music as well from a young age. And um, and so uh, there, there wasn't a lot of stigma uh, in my family and my upbringing um, around um, having, you know, being creative and artistic. As uh, I remember in elementary school, I, you know... Uh, I really, I wasn't a class clown, but I really like making people laugh. Um, I wasn't afraid to be a center of attention. Um, and I found that, uh, you could take a class in that <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. And it, and it beat, uh, you know, doing, uh, uh, industrial arts or whatever they call, whatever they're called shop, <laughs> whatever those options yeah, are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you could, uh, you could be in place and, uh, you know, you could play instruments, and, and that was uh, that was a valid pursuit. So I just got into that, and that was always um, all the way through school. Uh, music and drama were, um, you know, big uh, big features of my, my school experience for sure. That's awesome, and your parents kind of encouraged you to do this because of that background. Yeah. Um, was there a point where you got made fun of this? Well, I had never heard until I had, uh, you know, it was a couple of years into playing the French horn that there was a, a figure of speech that was gay as a French horn. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, so, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, if you spent a lot of time in the drama hallway or the music, the band hallway, I mean, there was um, some sort of, uh, you know, unwritten judgments that, that came along with yeah, that absolutely. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been kind of uh, like a, um, a bigger guy physically, so I never had to deal with any, um, you know, physical repercussions uh, around that. But um, certainly, you know, you, you do get your share of being made fun of when you're a drama and a music guy. I'm assuming. 
people have questioned your masculinity or questioned your manhood because of this or just because in general? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also played sports, which was, you know, lucky for me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was never great at them, unfortunately. But um, looking back on on your life and your your childhood, did your parents ever ever stress any gender roles or was that very pretty free and liberal for you? Yeah, it was. um, I think I was pretty lucky in that respect. Both my parents were, they let my sister and I grow up basically doing whatever we wanted. And, uh, and I don't remember, uh, really, even with, um, you know, grandparents or extended family or anything like that, um, I don't ever remember any family messaging being like, well, boys don't do this or girls don't do this. You know, that's not very manly. I never really grew up with any of that in my family. I was really lucky in that respect. And so I think that helps a lot. I think people who do have that experience, it's even tougher when, you know, when their friends and their schoolmates Absolutely. pile onto that. Yeah. But I think um, I had a really good family experience in that sense. And I think that probably gave me a good enough foundation of security. Were you close with your father? Um, not really. Not in the sense that we would ever talk about uh, anything meaningful. I love my parents and, and, you know, I know that they love me. And yeah. So we're close in that, in that, you know, standard familial sense. Right. We're, we're different enough people that we, you know. We, we never really had a lot of shared experience. When you were younger, even, even I guess, maybe this could be even a general question. It doesn't have to be when you were younger. Do you find it hard to um, speak about um, either your emotions or either um, around these issues of masculinity or just issues around yourself um, with other people or with other guys? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I wouldn't ever have imagined doing something like this podcast, you know, a couple of years ago even. Um, I never grew up learning how to talk about my feelings. Yeah. Uh, I was a really sensitive kid when I was, when I was young and I cried really easily Mm -hmm. and I would get flustered really easily. And, um, and that had a really scarring effect on me because when you're a boy and you cry easily as a kid, when I was growing up, that was, um, that was just not allowed. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, yeah. You know, you would, it, it gets beaten out of, not physically beaten out of you, but, you know, uh, metaphorically beaten out of you. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, right. People talked about it or just like, they're, they're just like, no, 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 you're, they're just settle down here. You're crying too much. Yeah. 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 So, um, so I had to learn, um, you know, over the course of my childhood to not um, express feelings, basically, when it comes down to it. Um, you know, certain feelings, the softer yeah. feelings. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, as a result, like, I, and I never really learned how to do that. And now I'm having to do that as an adult in my thirties is learn how to express feelings, name feelings. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I still can't do that a lot of the time. Um, what are you feeling? I don't know. Was there a time when then, when, uh, when one of your employees, um, had difficulty in maybe, when they came up to you and had some problems within work, like was was there an instant where it was hard to kind of communicate that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I had uh, one of my employees was um, noticeably having a hard time with something in his life, and I wasn't sure what, but it was manifesting itself with really inappropriate workplace behavior. Like he was just, um, you know, prone to you know these uh, unexpected outbursts. Um, you know, he was mean to people. He was, um, sarcastic. He would, um, go around slamming, you know, boxes around and, um, slamming doors and things like that. And, um, and I knew something was bothering him. And so, 
but at the same time, I mean, you have, I have responsibility as a manager of people to like make sure that everything's running properly because you can't have that kind of environment for all the other yeah, absolutely. employees. Yeah. So I tried talking to him about it and I was like, well, first of all, like, you got to stop being like being a dick. <laughs> Not how I said it, but, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you can't be, you can't treat your coworkers like that. And he, uh, came back to me and said, you know what, we're not allowed to have feelings at work. And that really caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know what to say about it at first because, you know, obviously, yes, you're, we're allowed to have feelings. We're supposed to have feelings and, and it's okay to express those feelings. But, um, but it took me a couple of days to, you know, really understand and explain that, um, you know, absolutely you're allowed to have feelings, uh, at work, but, the problem is when you don't know how to talk about those feelings or, you know, take care of those feelings, uh, is when you can, your behavior can start to negatively affect people around you. I mean, there's a way to communicate feelings with other people that's healthy and that creates bonds and that's, you know, positive for everybody. And then there's a way to um, behave that's negative and, um, you know, disrespectful of other people, uh, and their boundaries. And, um, but that was all stuff that I was still learning at the time. Yeah. 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 So it took me a while to, you know, explain, you know, yeah, it's okay to have feelings, but it's not okay to be a jerk to other people because you're having feelings. (laughs) So that was, um, it was a great moment for me. (laughs) I didn't want to, you know, tell this employee that, but it was, you know, it was a really great learning experience for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And you're absolutely right. It's really um I do a lot of uh I do a lot of men's groups and anger management is definitely like a some a topic that we talk about a lot. Um and it is. It's kind of like this defensive nature of being like, No, I'm allowed to be angry. I'm like, Yes, of course, everyone's angry. It's just we deal with anger in a different way. Like we deal with um all of our emotions in different ways, but at the same time, like they gotta be healthy. Like like people, I mean, like the like the Dalai Lama gets angry, but he deals with it in a different way. Yeah. Um, so, like the way I frame it is, that, like emotions are just your signals. You're, those are your signals of what's going on in your body, mm-hmm. and what we do with those signals, what we do with with that, like kind of guides the way that we go approach life. Like if if you're gonna just shut them down, then that's gonna affect something else. If you're going to express them in a very unhealthy way, then that's gonna be another consequence too. Like how do you manage in between the two and that's a it's a hard lesson for some people because you're right like we just shouldn't be shutting down feelings and emotions but at the same time like it's how do we do that right yeah and that's not something that we're really taught as guys no absolutely really not like how many I don't, i'm sure you know somebody like this too i know several people like this that feel like they don't have any problems in their life you know emotionally they don't have any problems and then you go driving with them and then they have this crazy road rage that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> like some, somebody, you know, cuts them off barely and then they just fly off the handle and you're like, yeah, you don't have any problems. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it takes you nothing going on inside there at yeah, all. Yeah. You're like, where did that come from? Well, that was, that was buried deep in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we gotta, we gotta learn how to, do, <laughs> how to take care of those things before it turns into road rage or something. I hear you. I hear you. And you know, it's, it's, I totally empathize with this because, well, not only because this is a lot of the work that I do, but it, like, I, this happened to me too, right? Like, I definitely, like, in my 30s, it was a time of, um, refresher for me too, and just trying to figure out what it was that I was actually feeling. Like, what are these emotions actually, uh, doing to me? 
Um, and I've learned something about like like restrictive emotionality, which is the case where this, this happens to both men and women, but um, specifically with men, that they are told at an early age to not express certain emotions. And the, the emotions that you're not supposed to express are the ones that, like you said, are the, the soft emotions or the ones that are like, you're not supposed to be, you're supposed to, you can be happy, but you can't be too happy. Mm-hmm. You can be, you can cry, but you can only cry in certain times. Like if your parents like died or somebody died, you can cry then. If your favorite sports team lost, you can cry then, mm-hmm. but you cannot cry anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the, the emotion of fear is, is kind of like trying to beat out of you. Like, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you identify with? Not so much fear, but definitely, you know, the rest of it, 100%. I haven't had a full, um, you know, palette to work with um, in dealing with other people. Because a lot of um, relationships with anybody is about, um, you know, shared experiences and, and shared uh, emotional reactions to things. That's how we relate to each other is, um, you know, we understand each other not just on a cognitive level, but on an emotional level. And so missing some of those abilities, uh, some of those tools, uh, has limited my, um, you know, ability to uh, relate to people in, in some situations, in some ways, for sure. And I didn't even, you know, uh, I'm just uh, still learning about that and even, like, you know, uh, putting putting a name to it and, and, and recognizing it even. What are some of the steps that has helped you out? You know, seeing a professional like therapist is uh, is an amazing um, way to learn a lot of these things because uh, they're they're paid to do it. So it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's you can kind of get by with uh, relationships with people that are better at it than you, but it's um, you know. But then you're expecting usually women to do emotional work. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's um, you know, that's uh, not fair. Yes. No, uh, I agree because they have to do it. You know. A disproportionate amount. Uh, just listening um, to um, experiences outside of my own. How does that help you, listening to the experiences and listening to that? What, what kind of uh, insights have you gotten from that? People, you know, non-cis um, men have been describing their experiences for a long time. And it's easy uh, when you live in a world uh, largely run by cis men to, uh, to ignore but just kind of wrapping my head around the idea that, um, you know, that uh, I have a certain level of responsibility to um, change some of those things in society means listening to some of those voices and um, believing them and internalizing them and, and connecting to my experience and my actions and behaviors mm-hmm. and empathizing with people that have d- have different experiences and thinking about you know, what would I do in that situation with my limited set of tools? Like, uh, you know, oh, that'd be terrible. Generally, Matt, I'm very proud of you, to be honest, because this is this is a, a gigantic step. And I think a lot of guys don't end up doing this. And I think either they do it too late in life or they or something happens where they they have to do it. And, and it's usually something big, like, I don't know, something very tragic or traumatic, um, which is unfortunate. I encourage you. And I think that that's a really cool thing that you're doing, um, especially like talking about this in a very public manner, like this podcast. Um, I think a lot of people will be able to hear um, your story and, and actually 
and empathize with it and and, and actually see it to to help them and, and empower them to actually either to get help or to work on some of these skills and, and you can do this in a very easy manner you can probably go online and check a lot of things or you can go find some free stuff and you can figure this out mm-hmm. besides going to a therapist or besides going to um, anywhere else like professional help was there anything else that's, that's helped you out well listening to this podcast obviously oh yeah <laughs> yeah um, no uh, but seriously like um, having somebody that I know um, you know where I live talking about uh, these things and you know um, healthy masculinity it's um i don't think i heard the term healthy masculinity until like a year or two ago which is crazy that's awesome and has this encouraged you to um be able to talk honestly and openly even not even to your partner or whoever it is but like to other people like your friends and your family well yeah and it's it's a work in progress still and it's still something absolutely that I'm really bad yeah. at. um i had an experience um Almost uh, just about exactly a year ago, um, I lost a good friend to a carbon monoxide accident uh, in town here. And I had lost um, family members before, usually like older family members. And I had a couple of acquaintances that had, um, uh, you know, committed suicide uh, when I was younger. But I'd never lost a a close friend um, in like an accidental way like that. And it was, um, it was extremely difficult. Um, I'd never felt that kind of grief before. And um, I decided not to talk about it at work. I told uh, my business partner. And that was about it. And because I felt that, you know, as the, uh, one of the heads of a company, that that was not my position was to spill my guts over this, you know, tragic experience that i was having if i had to do that all over again i absolutely would talk to people about it because that's the kind of environment that i would want at at my workplace it would be one where people would it would be okay for people to talk about what they were going through because it's obviously better and healthier for everybody i made a different decision for myself than i would want other people to make was um you know i have a lot of shame about that now looking back that I didn't that I wasn't just more open about that and I didn't set an example of being able to talk about those things has that experience helped you to maybe maybe give an example and show like where people where you are able to say you know what I'm not feeling my Mm -hmm. my 100% right now and um has that yeah absolutely encourage you to do that Um, more often and you know nothing nothing big but um uh, if I'm talking to somebody and um, there's just something you know personal but not boundary crossing that I can share that's that's kind of um, you know safe that uh, that I think will be relatable but you know very personal and vulnerable then uh, then I do that and, I, and I'm trying to um, you know keep doing that more and more as uh, both to set an example for the man in the company that it's this is an okay thing for a man to do in a public setting but also um to women in the company too because that i i would hope um just kind of makes everybody more comfortable that um you know this is the kind of workplace we live in and you know things that have traditionally been you know you know unwritten women's work in uh, in society are um you know 
shared uh, responsibilities. Yeah, good for you, Matt. That's that's really cool. And I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sad that 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 what what happened to your friend. And I think that's that's a it's a tragic instance. And and you know, like like life happens, and it's just. But we do, we are mm-hmm. we should be able to talk about it, right? And we should be able to talk about it to the people that we trust and the people that we love. Yeah, I remember. I mean, the day that I found out, I you know I stuck around work for about uh, half an hour. And then I was like, I can't even, you know, I'm not going to be able to get anything done here today. And I felt terrible for wanting to go home. I felt like that was, you know, just um, right. oh my gosh, totally yeah. unacceptable that, you know, hey, these things happen and you just got to suck it up and get on with your day. And uh, I felt a lot of, uh, a lot of guilt about that. And, and, but I would never feel that way if somebody else, you know, lost a friend and, and wanted to go home. We're on a continuous journey. I'm not a perfect man myself. And. I'm on my, I'm always on a journey too, but I think that's a that's a great great example to show like how we can move on beyond make our journey more holistic. And, and I'm sure that. you found here um, with the podcast and just generally in your life that men are like really wanting to have these kinds of conversations, and and it's funny that you can like guys will create really really strong bonds with each other just you know having one in depth emotional conversation. The kind of conversations that I imagine women have been having for, you know, hundreds of years. That's just a normal part of life. And then, you know, you do it. You have one good experience doing that with, with another man and you have this incredible bond. And it's like, it's almost embarrassing how, you know, uh, how uncommon it is and how, you know, how noticeably uh, good it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you had those conversations with other guys before? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm trying to do it more and more, but... um you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who started doing um, CrossFit at um, a CrossFit gym. And um, he was like, hey, you should come out. And, and so I was like, well, you know, I'm working, you know, maybe maybe one day. I'm just kind of still working towards learning to take care of my body. And, and it's really hard because sometimes uh, I just don't have that, you know, desire to take care of my body properly. And, you know, I have to kind of be in the right mental space to even want to, um, you know, treat it reasonably well. And then he really opened up. He's like, oh, man, me too. Like, it really comes and goes in waves for me. Like, sometimes I just, you know, have no motivation because of, you know, why should I, why do I deserve to, you know, treat myself well? And it turned into a really nice conversation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a ton of people that have these same um, ideas that we, that have never had the opportunity to talk about it. And I think a lot of guys need to open up that space to say like, no, I'm feeling these things too. Let's, let's have a chat about it. Yeah. And we were, you know, you're doing a huge favor to, to everybody, Herman. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, you know, man, women, old, young, like everybody can benefit from, um, man having a better sense of, you know, healthy masculinity for sure. Like it, I you know, that. how many problems in the world are caused by men who, aren't able to express these things or have, um, you know, um, unrealistic or unhealthy, um, ideas of, of what it means to be a man, um, you know, pounded into their heads, uh, and, you know, some of the cognitive dissonance or, um, you know, uh, trying to live up to these unrealistic and unhealthy ideals. Like that's a lot of the problems in the world. (laughs) No, I, I totally agree. And I thank you. I appreciate your compliments, but I, but I also must say like, I feel that any guy that will listen to this and and actually will start having these conversations with other guys, you're doing the job too. So, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to do it as public as I'm doing it. Uh, but um, 
as long as you take somebody in and take take your best buddy and just like hey let's we, let's talk about something serious and or let's talk about something that you maybe maybe feel shame about <laughs> like mm-hmm. start there and just and test it and mm-hmm. i bet you like 99% of the time that person might be feeling the same way and you probably have a good conversation yeah and the funny thing is that's a that's a pretty brave thing to do absolutely and bravery is like a really you know old school masculine uh notion that i think every a lot of guys uh you know try to live up to and you know we'll we'll gladly take on trying to be brave about you know catching the spider in the you know in the bathroom but when it comes to the bravery required to have a vulnerable conversation with another man like that's uh you know that that it's not on the same level like it's um you know they don't consider that to be the same kind of bravery but it absolutely is yeah yeah well, I'm going to give you the chance to try to help better some guys over here. So uh, this is the last question. I always ask this question to all my guests. Um, what is a piece of advice that you have learned in your journey um, that maybe you want to uh, give to the guys? Avoid complacency. You can think that you're uh, on top of a lot of these things, you know, your emotional health and well-being. Um, and I've learned to that it's it's better to come at it from a place of you know questioning that complacency and um and really forcing myself to to evaluate whether that's actually true or not um because the more i learn about um you know my ability to name and express and and feel and um uh and be vulnerable with my emotions um the worse that i discovered that i am about it and i could have pretty easily gone through life just assuming that I was okay at it you know I'm a good listener that's good enough (laughs) you know I don't I don't I'm not abusive I'm not I don't have a lot of unhealthy you know uh, tendencies so it's fine I'm fine you know it's these other people that are the problem but um if you come at it really questioning yourself and and testing yourself and um you know questioning your own complacency I found that that's um really opened up a lot of doors it's a great, great, great advice. And I think being able to challenge it, and I've heard it as well, too, in, you, in this interview, that um, you want to be able to challenge people, too, right? Like, you even said it in the Edmonton part of it, where you're like, well, if you don't like the city, then do something about it to make it better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the same thing of, like, if you see something going on in the world around you, maybe you can do something about it. And I and that complacency is definitely a killer of a lot of things. and. Uh, and yeah, and I think you showed it today too. So, like, like I said, Matt, I'm very, I'm very, I'm impressed, and I'm very, I'm very proud of you. And I, and I think that's, uh, I think a lot of people can take a good example from 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 this speech. So, thank you very much for doing this. That's incredibly sweet, Herman. I feel the, the same way about you. That's modern manhood for this week and for this year. Thank you to Matt Lysak for spending some time with me on my couch. And it's a great example that any man can be a guest on Modern Manhood. So if you want to do that, send me a shout at modernmanhoodpodcast at gmail.com. I will reply when I get a chance to, but I do read everything that you send me. On the next Modern Manhood, we will discuss philanthropy and what it might take for men to be vulnerable with the causes that they love. All episodes of Modern Manhood can be found at modernmanhood.org, and they're also broadcasting on gradio.ca. I hope everyone has a great and safe New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. 
and we'll see you next time in 2018 on Modern Manhood. <laughs>